Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be, uh, once again, as planned, a wonderful show. Mr. Rob Bluey is going to be joining me in just a minute, but I first want to give you a verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I love that verse. Rob Louie is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. He's also my go-to guy for what's going on in our nation's capital. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, there's lots going on for sure. You know, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind starting with uh, what's going on at the border. Well, there, there's certainly a lot going on at the border, and uh, not in a in a positive way. We have seen a surge of uh, of illegal immigrants who have crossed the border uh, since uh, President Biden took office, Bill. I think that uh, there's a few things happening here. Number one, the Biden administration came in and basically dismantled all of the immigration um, enforcement protections that President Trump had put into office. Uh, agree or disagree with President Trump and some of his, his actions over the last four years. Uh, one thing that's for certain, if you undo them, uh, immediately, there's going to be a consequence to that, and we're now seeing what that is. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think that there probably uh, was already a movement afoot uh, because President Biden signaled even before he took the oath of office on January 20th that he'd have a different approach. And uh, and he has uh, indicated that in his support for legislation on Capitol Hill, which would uh, effectively grant amnesty. The House this week is voting on two amnesty bills, uh, one called the American Dream and Promise Act, the other called the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. And uh, and both of these are our top priorities coming this early in uh, in the Congress. And um, and they're supported by the, the Biden administration. So it's uh, it's. Difficult, uh, I think, to comprehend the, the magnitude of what's going on. So one of the things that we've done at the Heritage Foundation and uh, and have helped to, uh, to bring light to at the Daily Signal is create a policy tracker so uh, Americans can understand uh, the differences between what uh, what President Trump was doing and what uh, what President uh, Biden is is now doing, and it includes everything from the border wall construction, which uh, which President Biden uh, immediately revoked, to uh, to other things um, that uh, you know are, might be not on the front page of newspapers, um, but. Um, but are still uh, important, and that includes things like uh, barring criminal um, immigrants from asylum, and uh, and so you know there are um, a, a lot of areas where I think there needs to be attention, and, and our, our public policy process needs to be focused. And this is one that I would say is urgently needed, uh, and uh, and we need to make sure that we're getting the truth and the facts. And uh, and I hope this is an area where the news media will. Uh, train some more attention because it's it's desperately needed. Rob, wasn't the Democrats a big fan of a border fence or wall not that long ago? They were, and it was one of those things where it, it be, just because President Trump uh, was so 
vocally in support of it. It seemed that the Democrats were trying to be equally vocal in opposition to it. But uh, there wasn't uh, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, during the uh, the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, uh, George W. Bush's administration, that Congress uh, authorized the construction of, of the wall. And of course, even during President Obama's administration, uh, there were uh, significant enforcement actions taken. Uh, no, Obama took a lot of other actions that I think exacerbated the problem and made it worse. But uh, but what we've seen here is a radical change and a departure from both Republican and Democratic administrations. Um, I will say it's it's not entirely surprising. Um, uh, the Secretary Mayorkas uh, at the Department of Homeland Security signaled as much um, before he took office. And, uh, and I think that um, they've effectively rendered agencies like ICE, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, uh, powerless because of the regulations and, uh, and, the, and the rules that they've, they've put in place for which they need to operate. Uh, we have a, a all-star team of immigration experts, uh, former uh, Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, uh, Ken Cuccinelli and Mark Morgan, both of whom worked under Wolf uh, in the Trump administration, and all of them were involved in the process of creating uh, many of these rules and, and regulations that uh, that helped address the problem. And what we've seen in, in the course of just the last couple of months is uh, wiping a lot of them completely off the books and going in a different direction. So it is troubling, Bill. Um, and, and I think, as I told you last week, the thing that breaks my heart is it's so so many of the people who are crossing the border border are unaccompanied children. So it's parents sending them across, uh, hoping that they'll find a place uh, in the United States. And um, and I, you know, as somebody who has three kids myself, I mean, it just breaks my heart to think that a parent would put their their child in jeopardy like that, particularly at a time when we're still still dealing with the global pandemic, and uh, we don't know uh, the impact that COVID is going to have not only on those who are crossing the border illegally, but all the people who are trying to help them on the other side. Mm-hmm. Rob, did did this past year with COVID, did it permanently change our view of government power? Oh, I, I, I think it certainly did. But Bill, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that both uh, Republicans and Democrats are starting to to have a second look at it. I think in the t- in the moment when we were in crisis, uh, there was um, certainly an expansion of government power in ways that, uh, that now people are taking a second look at and saying, well, you know, maybe it's time to to, to revoke some of that and, and restore where we were before COVID. Uh, the best example of this is happening in New York, where, uh, where you have Democrats uh, up and down, um, you know, from the federal level to the state level to the local level, who uh, realize that Andrew Cuomo, as the governor, has too much power and authority. And I think that for all of the uh, allegations that have made about uh, his, um, his personal life and, and sexual harassment and whatnot, uh, the w- one scandal that really strikes me is uh, is what he did in the nursing homes in New York, and that is an area where I think he um, he he took the liberty to do things that uh, put others in in danger, and there should be more attention, uh, hopefully focused on that. And I'm glad to see they're having a robust debate about that. One of the things that that we recommended in our National Coronavirus Recovery Commission report was a closer look at the authority that governors took. And uh, and Bill, I think that it's uh, it's it's time to do that. I'm, I was even surprised to see that uh, even some establishment media outlets, where you wouldn't necessarily think Republicans would get some favorable coverage, Ron DeSantis in Florida, who was ridiculed for having a more uh, open uh, state, uh, not shutting down businesses. Uh, basically, Florida and California are no different in in their um, in, in the public health 
uh, situation with regard to COVID. And California, of course, is experiencing uh, significantly more lockdowns, uh, significantly more people out of work. And, uh, and you have to wonder if uh, the governor there um, should have been more wise in his decision making and maybe listen to some of the experts rather than just uh, unilaterally shutting things down. He certainly is not very popular right now. He's not. Uh, in fact, there's a recall effort, yeah. but uh, there's, <laughs> there's uh, I think, what, only been about three recall efforts and, you know, m- much of our, our history. And, you know, of course, California recalled Gray Davis back in the, mm-hmm. the 2000s. And, uh, and now Gavin Newsom finds himself in a situation where he, uh, he might also um, be uh, facing that. Uh, of course, a recall is very difficult, uh, as we all know. And, and it, I think <laughs> uh, certainly having somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who uh, is a, <laughs> you know, uh, a household name across the world, frankly, uh, running for governor made it a little bit easier last time. But uh, but yeah, uh, th- there's uh, there's some frustration out there with uh, with the state chief executives. Kentucky, uh, uh, Andy Bashir, Governor Bashir, uh, was another uh, person who was under the threat of impeachment. So you have uh, some some governors who who took these actions. You're absolutely right, Bill, that uh, that expanded the role of government. And I think people are now wanting some of that freedom back that uh, that they cherish uh, in, as part of living in this country. Thank you for that, Rob. Let's do an update on HR one. They call that. For the People Act of 2021, that's a toughie. That's right. So HR one, it would make uh, significant reforms to to our electoral process. In many ways, federalizing um, a system that has been run by the states since our founding. Uh, the Constitution gave states the ability to uh, to run elections, um, and uh, that's uh, that's a big change. Uh, that is a change that I think. Um, a majority of Americans, according to polling, uh, don't want to make. They are all about uh, restoring the credibility and integrity to our elections, but going about it in, in, a, in an act of Congress like this one is is just not what a lot of people had in mind. And so, yes, it has uh, has a has a good name to it. Uh, not surprisingly, that's uh, that's how things work in Congress. But uh, but where it goes from here after passing the House is the Senate will now take it up. They'll have a hearing on it later this month in March, um, and it'll be a situation where I think uh, it's going to come down to a handful of people. Uh, there are um, uh, it, it will face a filibuster threat, meaning that it'll need 60 votes. Mm-hmm. But uh, but certainly that not all Democrats are necessarily on board with it. So, Bill, I think it's uh, it's one that we need to pay close attention to. And at the same time, I think we need to be focused on what's happening in the states. There are several states that are debating changes or reforms to their electoral systems based on on what happened. Uh, there was a, a big rush. Uh, you 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 talk about uh, some of the expansions of government power during COVID. One of the things that happened was uh, a lot of states changed their laws, not necessarily in the way that the Constitution stipulates that they need to go through state legislatures. Uh, but we saw in states like Pennsylvania, you know, uh, judges making changes to to election laws. And giving people um, different ways they could vote through mail-in voting, but not necessarily thinking through the implications of that and having all the protections. And it, it left a lot of us questioning why why a state like Florida uh, was able to count all its votes uh, on election night, and other states took you know a full week uh, before they were able to to really give us accurate data. So, um, and look, there were two two congressional elections that stretched out months: one in Iowa, one in uh, upstate New York. So. Yeah, there, uh, there's definitely some need uh, to take a closer look at our election laws. I just don't think that Congress has the right solution. Mm-hmm. Rob, after a short break, I want to ask you about the Biden-Harris stimulus tour that they're on, and they're trying to sell that, that uh, stimulus package. 
And then I also want to ask you about uh, Joe Biden's China policies and some of the big tech censorship that's going on. Rob Blue is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal and my Washington, D.C. correspondent. We'll be right back. It is Bluey Tuesday. We always start Tuesdays with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. And Rob, I would love for you to talk about this uh, stimulus tour that uh, Joe Biden and, and, uh, and Kamala Harris are on. Well, I think the one of the most important things to to remember as they go about embarking on this uh, American Rescue Plan tour across the country, I believe the vice president is uh, is today in Denver. Uh, just a paltry nine percent of the bill will actually be spent on public health measures. I said, mm-hmm. that, <laughs> repeat that nine percent of the one point wow. nine trillion dollar bill is uh, is devoted to public health. It goes to show you uh, that the, the other ninety one percent is going toward other priorities that uh, that the Democrats uh, have have long wanted to to impose and they're not even um they're they're not even disguising it as other otherwise a bill they're they're talking openly about uh, the success they had to get some long uh, standing projects uh, included in this package of course it was uh, approved uh, completely on a partisan uh, basis uh, with no Republican votes. So uh, that's not necessarily surprising. Um, I think one of the things that the American people want out of this plan is uh, is the resources for testing and vaccine distribution. Those are, remain among the most popular uh, things that, uh, that the American people want when it comes to having Congress act and, and help uh, provide support. And instead, uh, we're sending a lot of money to places that, that really don't need it. Um, in fact, there are some calls among Republicans on Capitol Hill that states, which are receiving a, a significant chunk of, of money, uh, should reject it and send it back and, and put it back in the Treasury and say, no, thank you. Uh, we're doing just fine. We don't mm-hmm. want Washington uh, to meddle in, in some of our affairs. But I think one of the things that, um, that, that is, is really concerning about it is uh, the um, – the extent which it, it it kind of tampers with the the successful recovery that we're already having, uh, we we know from the most recent jobs report that uh, we're, we're, employers are beginning to to bring back a lot of people. We also hear from employers that some of the incentives that the government is providing uh, by adding uh, additional unemployment uh, insurance benefits and whatnot. Uh, that uh, some Americans are just not working. They say, well, <laughs> if the government's going to pay me not to work, you know, what incentive do I have to show up? And and so I think that, uh, you know, relief is best when it's targeted and temporary. And uh, for those who um, who are ready to get back to work, uh, now would be a good time to to start weaning, uh, weaning away from some of those generous unemployment benefits that, uh, that were offered at the initial uh, outset of the pandemic. And, uh, and as our society begins to reopen, look for other ways to provide the support and help that's needed. Mm-hmm. Rob, help us understand a little bit what President Biden's China policies are. I guess I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> there is a big move um, uh, both at the White House and in Congress right now, Bill, 
to to try to form some bipartisan agreement. In fact, it's one of the few areas where I expect that there might actually be Republicans and Democrats agreeing. Uh, this was an area where, for instance, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Donald Trump agreed on some things, was, uh, was in encountering China. I think that we all recognize that China does pose a threat, both militarily, economically, to the United States. Um, it's uh, what, what what's we've witnessed happened in, in Hong Kong and other places is uh, alarming. Um, and uh, there's there's no doubt that China has a different set of principles than we do here in the United States. So uh, in some respects, Biden's China policy won't differ all that much from President Trump's. He probably will continue to keep some of the tariffs in place. Uh, I think he'll take a slightly different diplomatic tone. He probably won't be as aggressive um, toward, toward the Chinese on Twitter as as uh, as President Trump was, uh, but we're still trying to figure out exactly uh, what what the president is going to propose, and I think a first indication of this uh, will be uh, this legislation that's moving through through Congress to see how much traction that actually gets, and if Republicans and Democrats are able to to, to have success. I will tell you the one area I would like to see the Biden administration pay more attention to is the persecution of religious minorities in China. Mm-hmm. I think that this is an area where um, where we continue to see significant uh, problems taking place. The Chinese wanting to sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not happening, uh, but the Uyghur Muslims there in China are uh, are, are suffering the consequences and. Uh, to hear the comparisons that some are making, uh, I think that it's it's right for us to to not only concentrate our own media attention on it, which we've tried to do at the Daily Signal, but also uh, to hold the administration uh, accountable and uh, make sure that they are are pushing forward and and holding them, making sure that the Chinese are are answering for the crimes that they're alleged to have committed. Mm-hmm. Rob, what is the update on big tech censorship? Oh, well, Bill, it seems that not a day goes by where there's not another uh, threat to, uh, yeah. to, to somebody. Um, uh, obviously, big tech has led the way in cancel culture uh, They, uh, in terms of their censorship of a number of issues. Um, uh, the, the one example I'll share with your listeners, which I, I found personally so alarming, um, was uh, the censorship of, uh, of Ryan Anderson's book. Oh, yeah. uh, which was called When Harry uh, Became Sally. It mm-hmm. was a book about uh, the transgender moment uh, taking place in, in America right now. It was a book that is a, is a bestseller, was a bestseller, uh, when Ryan was, uh, was at the Heritage Foundation. He's now president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. And, uh, and Ryan uh, discovered on his own that Amazon had removed the book uh, for, for sale. Uh, when members of Congress uh, spoke out about this and wrote to Amazon asking for answers, Amazon lied about the book. They said that they removed the book because it uh, declared LGBT uh, as a mental illness. Ryan's book did no such thing. And, uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's one of the thing, problems that we have with the big tech companies. They, uh, they make some of these decisions. Uh, they try to back them up uh, in, in ways that just don't hold up. And uh, we're going to be awaiting a decision probably sometime within the next month about whether or not Facebook will allow uh, former President Trump back on the platform. That'll obviously be a big decision. But I think that all of your listeners, um, you know, should should continue to to do all that they can uh, to hold these these companies accountable. And uh, and that means reporting uh, some of the instances of censorship. Uh, there's a great resource. It's called censortrack.org. It's uh, it tra- it's a massive database of all of the censorship. A lot of it uh, conservative censorship, but it's not just necessarily conservative. Uh, there's there's uh, you know some people on on the other side of the aisle who uh, who feel that they've been wronged as well. So uh, we need to keep uh, keep a focus on it. Uh, we need to encourage 
uh, both uh, the administration and, and Congress to take a close look at uh, reforms to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which would uh, remove some of the immunity that's given to, uh, to these tech companies. So I think that there are some, some policy actions that can be taken. There are some actions that we as users of these platforms can do uh, to make sure that they are held accountable. And, um, and Bill, hopefully we'll, we'll see uh, better days ahead, but it's, uh, it's one of those things that we need to keep a focus on for sure. Otherwise, we're all going to be silenced one of these days. Yeah, so true. Robert, I need more update on the Equity Act. Yes, uh, the well... <laughs> Bill, you know, I I would not be surprised if they renamed it the Equity Act. It's 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 the Equality Act. I know, but it's going to be Equity Act somehow. (laughs) We have talked about this in the past, how how quickly we transition from talking about equality. Right. uh, Which, by the way, equality was one of the remember when the the National Basketball Association, the NBA, uh, let the players put uh, put all those uh, slogans on the back of their jerseys. You know, equality was one of those slogans. And now, uh, for some reason, equality is like a dirty word. I mean, among the, the woke crowd. I mean, I, I thought equality was something that we were were striving to do. I mean, that's, uh, of course, the premise of our founding documents and what we heard from Martin Luther King and the, the suffragists and and so many people throughout uh, throughout our history. But the Equality Act um, is uh, is something that would do nothing of the sort. In fact, it would basically erase um, a, a lot of the protections that uh, that, that we have gained. Uh, and I, I I'll speak specifically to to women's and, and girls sports. Uh, we've seen uh, so many examples of this already about how how girls who are competing in, in high school sports are are being shut out. Uh, because there are are transgender um, uh, men who are now competing in those those uh, those competitions. We've done stories on it for the Daily Signal, and they continue to resonate with people because I think that it attracts uh, a group of people that um, that goes outside of the typical partisan bounds. And I think uh, you know again we we talk about these congressional bills which have these these nice sounding names, uh, but I think once you dig deeper and understand the consequences of what will happen as a result of it. Uh, you'll begin to see. So this is an issue that uh, the Senate's going to have a hearing on tomorrow. We're going to keep a close eye on it, and uh, we want to make sure that we're providing those those same types of religious uh, freedom and conscious protections that exist today well into the future. The Equality Act would wipe them all away, and it would be a significant change for a lot of uh, of our churches and others who hold uh, hold deeply held religious beliefs. Rob, we just have a minute left. What's What does it say on the Post-it notes on your desk? <laughs> yes. Well, uh, we've covered so much today already. Bill, I know but, we have. Uh, You've done a brilliant I, job today. Thank you, as always. Well, well, thank you. I mean, I think um, I think one of the things that uh, we just need to to remember is, uh, you know, there are there are so many um, situations in Washington that uh, that tend to go over over our head, and I think one that we we just need to we didn't talk about it today, but one that impacts a lot of the legislation that's making its way through Congress is the protection of the Senate filibuster. Yes. Uh, the filibuster um, would is it makes the Senate different. It's something that the founders envisioned as as making the Senate a place where you had deliberation and debate and some consensus and not just majoritarian rule like the US House. And so one of the best ways to stop some of these things from becoming law and slow down and maybe uh, encourage our, our lawmakers to to come to some sort of agreement is is to protect the filibuster. So we've got a great new piece on the Daily Signal. Encourage your listeners to check it out today. And Will, Rob, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. 
Thanks, Bill. You too. You bet. Rob Bluey's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal, and my Washington, D.C. man. Take a little break. We'll be back with Pastor Rusty George. He wants to talk to you about living life simply. We'll be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. So, how do you like the idea of just living simply, simplifying life? We're going to talk about that today with uh, pastor and author Rusty George, the lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern Cal. It's a multi site church. It's got campuses everywhere. It's quite a growing church. It's one of the fastest ones growing out there. And uh, we're always glad to have Rusty on the program. I should say I am because I like Rusty and he's with us today. Rusty, welcome. Thank you for having me, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you for saying that. I sounds like you meant it. I, <laughs> I've been working hard on it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good actor there, Rusty. Well, first of all, first of all, I want to just mention your book again because it's brilliant. After Amen, what to do when you're waiting on God? I mean, because you've prayed about it. Now what? Yeah, there's just so much that we uh, we wonder after we hang up the phone. You know, did it go through? Did God get our text? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is He going to reply? Did I ask did I nice miss enough out on something? Yeah, and so I think we all wonder. What are we supposed to do? I know I wondered that. And so a few years ago, I thought, well, I'll just try to find a book on that. And there's not a lot out there. There's a lot on how to pray. There's a lot on how to, on what to say when you pray, but very little on what to do after you pray. So I thought, well, I wonder if there's anything we can do after we pray that might actually impact how well we're, we've been heard or the answer we might receive. So I started looking at when people would come to Jesus and ask him for things, for, you know, Uh, for someone to be healed or something to be amended in their life or whatever it was. And Jesus' answers were quite interesting. They often involved us doing something after the request. And I grouped these together into seven things that kind of line out the things that we should do after we say amen, and I've just seen them to bring uh, great fruit in people's lives. That's awesome. Are we going to talk about that today? Because we certainly can. We I'll, yeah, we I want can to talk, talk about, about whatever you want to. Well, I want to talk about what you want to talk about because I want to talk about living life simply and simplifying. That's sure. really a great topic. But I also love what you just said too. So I want I want everything. Okay. <laughs> well, let's start with living simple. <laughs> All right. Talk fast, Rusty. Talk fast. Let's... Well, uh, I happened into the podcast world a few years ago, and it started off with me just kind of giving the extras to the sermon. You know, I'd spend all this week working on a message for the weekend. I'd get up and deliver it. And as a professor of mine used to say, you can't take everything from the kitchen into the dining room. (laughs) And so I I couldn't share it all. So uh, we had to figure out what to do with it. And Mm -hmm. I hated just to throw it away. So I just started doing some some podcasts uh, on Monday morning with here's kind of the message 2.0 or the leftovers or however you want to call it. And it got good good reviews. Uh, you know, our people in our church liked it. But inevitably, the topics that people really rallied around were anything that would make their life a little less overwhelmed. Mm. And if there's one word for us, it's got to be overwhelmed because we all feel like we're overwhelmed with stuff to do. We're overwhelmed with COVID. We're overwhelmed with politics. Uh, and certainly, you come to following Jesus, and we think, oh, my goodness, well, I got all this other stuff I got to do now. 
when following Jesus may not be easy, but it's uh, it's not complicated. Uh, Jesus sums it up pretty simply uh, in loving people the way that he loved us. And to just to borrow the phrase from Micah, it's really just to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. So we started off by dr- drilling down on that, and then I started bringing on guests and talking to them about how they – you know, have found a way to simplify their lives when it came to discipleship or prayer or reading the Bible uh, or even parenting. And now on the podcast, we're doing a focused effort on mental health at least once a month, because that is so overwhelming for people right now with what am I feeling? What am I not grieving? What, What should I be doing in order to get right? So that's kind of the whole idea behind the podcast, Leading Simple, that I just happen to host. Okay, I love the I love the concept, and I want to start hearing some of the greatest hits comments you, you've been getting from your guests on how to live life mm. simply. Yeah, well, that's that's a really good one. I, I had a, a woman on the on the podcast a few uh, maybe about a year ago named Jan Johnson. She writes a lot of books on listening to God, and I was writing a lot about this for After Amen, and I said, you know, kind of sum it up for me. And she said, here's what I think every Christian would do well if they just prayed this prayer. God, how can I love you better for the next 10 minutes? <laughs> and then how can I love my neighbors better in the next 10 minutes? And she was breaking it down in a 10-minute bite-sized nuggets. <laughs> and, I, I, and I thought, well, I, I can get on board with this. And suddenly now, I can sit inside and I can watch TV and see all of the plight around the world and think, what could I do? Or when I go outside to take my trash dumpsters out, I could look at my neighbor and talk to him and say, hey, how are you doing? How could I pray for you? Well, now I've actually impacted a life versus feeling really down about how can I change the world? So simplifying things like that uh, goes a long way. I had a guest on. He was a a former professor of mine in, in college, a guy named Mark Moore. Oh, yeah. I've had him on the show. Oh, he's fantastic. Core 52? Core 52. Yeah. And his, uh, you know, that book was so helpful for our people to kind of understand the Bible uh, with with these 52 core principles. And um, I'm sure that your your listeners benefited greatly from that. But that was very, very simplifying for us. Um, I just had a, uh, a guest on. You've probably heard of her, maybe had her on the show. Her name is Nona Jones. Nope. And she is um, a Christian. She and her husband pastor a church. And oh, by the way, she happens to be a higher up at Facebook. And so I wanted to talk to her about simplify social media for me, because it sure seemed to get angry over the last year. And she helped me understand how Christians could actually evangelize on social media without having to be rude or mean or, um, you know, uh, discrediting to other people. Uh, she simplified for us uh, Facebook groups and how they can be used in a way to actually benefit and bless your church and your community. Um, and she also helped me understand that, you know, some of the, the demonic things that we face in our world uh, that, peer, that kind of peak up, I guess, a little bit on Facebook or other social media, media platforms, that's not necessarily Facebook's fault. But the enemy uses it to distract us from what really matters most. It was a fascinating conversation. So uh, I, I just love doing that. And then we're going to do one on, on Wednesday, tomorrow. Uh, and we're going to try to figure out how to simplify our NCAA March Madness bracket. So that's <laughs> going to be very, very 
spiritual and helpful for people. <laughs> yeah, it sounds that way. I know my listeners would be busy yes. listening to my show and not your and not your podcast. So, um, yeah. how do we? You know, interesting when you talk about social media. How do we stand apart? According to this guest of yours from Facebook, how do Christians uh, differentiate in this very muddy social media? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that that is that was my question as well. Okay, and 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 what I've discovered is is we all want to make a difference, but what we settle for is making a point. Mm. And we get on our social media platforms, and we're kind of in an echo chamber. And we end up being with people that are like us because they kind of group us together that way. We end up kind of saying the same thing, just that louder decibels to one another. And her advice was to do the one thing that most people don't do on social media, and that is ask questions. Tell me why you feel this way. Tell me why this bothers you so much. And inevitably what happens is people begin to peel back the onion layers in their own life and figure out, well, why is this so bothersome to me? Why do I think this way? And they begin to discover there's a deeper issue down below that, let's be honest, a, a politician can't ever fix. It's really the love of our Savior that we need. So her stance was to be curious rather than being accusatory, because I think we have this faulty assumption that I'm going to say that one thing that's going to cause people to go, oh, my goodness, I never thought about it that way. You're exactly right. When really the, the purpose of social media is to be social. And to ask questions and to learn from each other, uh, and I, this is the church world, buddy. I mean, we our our church has always struggled with we don't we we shouldn't use social media to be a bulletin board of all the things we're doing. We should use it as a as basically a way to listen to our community of the things that they need, and then we can see how we can help. Yeah, I don't really see a lot of minds getting changed on social media. However, the word of God <laughs> can change a mind because it has the power yes, to do it so. Can. Yes, it can. And that's, I, I think what happens there is the more you listen, the more you build a friend. And then when you share the Word of God, and you, uh, you know, because it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, the Word begins to do its work that way, and people will now give you an audience for it, where in the past they didn't. Yeah. I wonder if we ever thought we would be so consumed with our digital uh, phones and iPads and computers that we would be so uh, busy all day long being connected to them. Boy, it, it really is exhausting. I mean, you probably had those moments where you get home at night and you put the phone down and you think, boy, I'm just, I'm just exhausted from all of the conversations I've tried to keep up with. It's interesting. I was just listening to a podcast with Kerry Newhoff and he was talking with a, a guy that wrote the book, Deep Work and Digital Minimalism. And he said that in the early days of email, I believe it was Seth Godin said, we should charge for email because if you don't, people will use it in such a way that it overruns everyone. And what, what I see happening is between email, between Facebook messages, Instagram messages, Twitter messages, go on down the line, because it's free, we feel like we can send as many as we want, and then we still feel the pressure to read it all, and then we're just overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. All right, Rusty, let's get back to some more ways to live in a simplified manner. Mm. Well, I, I think that, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, your, your schedule, the order of your day, mm-hmm. uh, figure, figuring out what matters most, um, planning ahead. I talk a lot about some of the things I've learned from 
my uh, failed attempts at calendaring and scheduling, <laughs> my, uh, my, my belief for years that I could multitask until my wife finally proved to me that I cannot, uh, and finally just giving up on those things, doing some things really well and, and only a few things. Uh, I had Andy Stanley on a few weeks ago, and he talked about the five questions um, that really can help you get better results. He walked through those from his latest book. Uh, we talk a lot about winning the war uh, of some of the demons in your mind, uh, some of those tapes that keep playing that were imprinted upon us when we were kids or from a parent or a coach or you know, even into our, our, our adult age, and we've got coworkers that say things and we never forget them. How do we erase those things, simplify the, the messages, what matters most, uh, and then sometimes I have a co-host come on with me, and, and he'll talk about church issues, like how to plant a church and what church planters and church leaders should be thinking about right now. We tend to deal with people that are either leaders of churches or leaders in churches. And so that could be a Sunday school teacher. That could be a youth group leader. That could be a pastor. That could be somebody that goes to church and happens to serve in the parking team um, and just wants to know, boy, I love this, but I'm so overwhelmed. How can I actually fit this into my life? Uh, and then we just try to find some help for it. Mm-hmm. Rusty, what happens when we, we ask God, we, we present our prayer requests, and the silence is just deafening? Yeah, I think God's doing something on our hearts right then. And I think our, our knee-jerk reaction is just to assume that either he's failed us or we've failed him. Mm. And somehow we've missed something. And so I encourage people to to sit in that silence um, and, and recognize that just because we didn't get an instantaneous email back or a tweet back or whatever, it doesn't mean that he's absent, but he's working. Um, I know we just lost uh, Luis Palau uh, last week uh, to cancer, and I heard him say one time, and I have this in the book, that God can give us a variety of answers, and sometimes it's yes, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so, those are the prayers we love to pray, and mm-hmm. we see those answered rather quickly. Sometimes it's yes, and here's more, and those are even better, right? But sometimes it's uh, not yet, and sometimes it's a no, because I love you too much. Mm-hmm. And finding God in that is is really kind of the, uh, the dance that we do, that uh, relational dance we do with God. And that only comes in spending time with him. Uh, you know, Jesus tells us, uh, here's how you should pray. And he mentions, you know, you go into your room, you close the door, and you talk to your father who hears what it is you pray in secret. And remember, he already knows what you need before you ask him. Well, I read that and I think, oh, well, then why bother asking? Uh, but he's saying that as if to say, you know what? He knows the laundry list. He's on it. But talk to him about how you're feeling. Talk to him about what you're thinking and, and what you're uh, what your fears are if these things don't come about. Because in the talking, we begin to process things. He begins to work on our heart. And then Jesus begins to teach us this Lord's Prayer of setting things right with God. Your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to sit here for a while until I reorient my priorities. Your will matters most. And that's one of the of the seven things I encourage people to do while they're waiting on God, and that is to align with his why. What is it he's all about, and why is he working in the world, and what if we got behind that rather than just our own agenda? I like it. Let me take a little break. Pastor Rusty George is my guest. You can go to pastorrustygeorge.com. 
learn more about Rusty, see his good-looking picture and the books and blogs that he's written and also the podcast he's been talking about. We'll be right back. Pastor Rusty George is my guest. He's lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California, and he's written a whole number of books. And the one that I, I like chatting about a little bit today is After Amen, what what to do when you're waiting on God. And we're also talking about living life with simplicity. Because, Rusty, right before uh, we went to break, we were talking a little earlier about people feeling overwhelmed. And as you were talking about people feeling overwhelmed, I added into the mix things like, finances are maybe in crisis there could be health issues that are have surfaced and then you add that into a year of pandemic and everything else and a lack of connection to people and i get the overwhelming part mm-hmm. yeah it really is i mean you think about it if it had just been a normal year we all would have dealt with financial things people in our life getting sick people dying our own personal health um, just, you know, kids going away to school, good things too. Right. And it's all, it's all, you know, been turned up because of the COVID crisis. We had about four pandemics last year. You know, we had the COVID pandemic, we had the economic pandemic, we had the election pandemic, uh, we had the mental health pandemic. There's just so many things we all face at the same time. Uh, and it, it really, it really was difficult on us. I, I read the other day that, uh, the um, uh, prescriptions for depression medications have gone up 300% in the last year. Uh, suicide rates for students were so bad in Las Vegas that they rushed reopening schools just to get kids out of the house, out of isolation, and being together again. Um, it, it really is um, a, 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 a difficult time that I think we'll continue to feel the repercussions from for probably at least the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. Rusty, when you think of Scripture and the ministry of Jesus, and he obviously encountered a, a, a wide variety of people who came to him needing something, and they would sometimes uh, receive a mixed response, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would. It was interesting. You know, there's sometimes Jesus uh, kind of interacts with somebody without their request. That uh, the, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, he's out there and he's begging and yeah. Jesus walks by and he says, do you want to get well? Which seems like a really odd question to ask a guy who's begging. And his response isn't even, yes, I know you can do it. Please heal me. He has an excuse. <laughs> he says, well, uh, no one will let me into the pool, which they believe the pool would actually heal them. And, you know, here's a guy that didn't even ask, didn't seem to have any faith in Jesus, and yet Jesus still heals him. Then you have another time somebody comes up to Jesus and asks for healing, and he says, um, I'll tell you what, why don't you go show yourself to the priest, which, you know, these guys had leprosy, and then if you got healed from that, you needed to go declare that to the priest so they would stop considering you unclean. And these guys have to then take the faith walk towards the priest, still seeing the leprosy on their skin. And it's in that journey that the miracle comes. Oh, wow. We have another guy that comes to comes to Jesus, and and he says, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, uh, yeah, um, why don't you go home and he'll be healed when you get there? And the guy says, no, 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 no. I have strict orders from my wife to come and get you and bring you to him. And Jesus says, just go. And so he does. 
and along the way, his servant comes and runs after him and tells him, your, your son was healed. At the same time, you talk to Jesus. So you have these things Jesus tells people to do. Sometimes it's go wash your eyes. Sometimes it's go see the priest. And my favorite is the, the very first miracle that Jesus does. Mary, his own mother, comes to Jesus and says, they are running out of wine. Can you fix this? And a lot of people assume that you know Mary may not always be just pressing for a miracle, but because weddings were a lot of potluck back then, people may have just assumed Jesus and the disciples were responsible for bringing the wine. And so she goes to her son and says, will you take care of this? Will you run down you know, the, the street to Kroger and pick up some wine because we've got to help this wedding out? And Jesus says, it's not my time. And I always, I can't wait till I get to heaven and ask Mary about what's going on at this moment. But uh, she just looks at the servants and says, we'll do whatever he says. So Jesus tells the servants, I want you to take these six stone water jars, go down to the river, fill them up, bring them back. Now think about that. We, we would, you know, assume, okay, you fill the water jars, you just put them, uh, you know, with, with the garden hose. Back then they're, they're dragging them down to the river, filling them up. Now they weigh 300 pounds. You're dragging them back in the heat at a wedding, dressed for a wedding. And they do this six times. And then after all the jars have been filled, that's when they turn to wine. Now think about trip four. <laughs> you're exhausted. You're sweating. You're already at a wedding you don't want to be at because you'd rather be home watching college football. And now suddenly you're, you're seeing nothing, and yet they keep going. And this is what I, I tell people, that sometimes it's not so much that God said no, it's that you're only in your fourth trip to the river or the fifth or maybe the first. So you just keep doing what you're called to do until God tells you to do something else. Uh, and I think for a lot of us, we'd rather sit at home and wait for that uh, miraculous moment and uh, then see the, the, you know, the skies part. But God seems to work while we wait and while we are working in his waiting. Mm-hmm. And Rusty, thank you for that. Does God always hear our prayers? Yes, I do believe that God always hears our prayers. I think that our our mistake is we assume that if he doesn't answer our way, then he hasn't heard them. But Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father does hear us. Now, I do make this caveat. There is a chapter in the book in which I talk through running through the checklist. And I think there are some things that will short circuit our effectiveness in prayer or even God's ability to say yes to us. Even up in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, then your Heavenly Father can't forgive you. Wow. Well, that's, that's a big issue. Maybe I should ask, is there somebody I haven't forgiven? We know that if we're harboring sin and we're not confessing it, or if we're just skirting it under the rug and assuming that it's fine, that that does short-circuit our communication with God, um, our inability to let go of grudges and those kind of things. And then there's this fascinating story we read about in, in a couple of the Gospels where Jesus is, um, is performing miracles, and then uh, he isn't. And it's fascinating because the text says Jesus was unable to perform many miracles among them because they were offended at him. And I just think that is so, so telling of our world right now to bring it back to our social media conversation. 
we as a people, the people of God, have been so offended over the last year. And that's our country, too, but I, I can't speak on behalf of them, just on behalf of all of us who call ourselves Christians. We're so offended by government. We're so offended by people in our church, by our pastors that either opened their doors or didn't open their doors, by um, things that we read about. We're just so offended. And yet that seems to be the climate in which Jesus says, yeah, I can't really do any more miracles here because your offense short circuits your connection with God. And so what I tell our people in our church all the time is if you're offended by something, you got to let that go as quick as possible, because if you don't, that will be that barrier that keeps God from working in your life. So does God, does God hear our prayers? I think he does. I think that there are some things that can cause him to say no or to actually decide not to be involved in our life until we get some certain things cleared up. I so enjoy having you on the program, Rusty. Thank you so much for taking time today. Bill, always uh, yeah. always available for you, my friend. Thank, Thank you so you. much. I appreciate you very much, Rusty. All right, Pastor Rusty George has been my guest. You go to PastorRustyGeorge.com. His book that we chatted about today is called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. Take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get back into our study on the book of uh, Revelation and End Times with Jeff Ferdorn. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.